tonight, February 17th, 2019. Get ready for the inaugural episode of the only Nationals baseball podcast you'll ever need. Tonight's topics is the never-ending Bryce Harper saga nearing its end. Who is the favorite in the NL East? And is every team just thinking the same? Or is that code for collusion? In Boston, Massachusetts, it's Jenny Rash. From Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's Jacob Rash. And this is The Rashcast with Jake and John. Welcome to The Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jacob Rash. And I'm Johnny Rash. So a little primer on why we're doing this and what we hope to get out of it. The whole idea here is that we wanted to sort of release a podcast. We're big baseball fans. If you know, if you follow me and Johnny on Twitter, we like talking about baseball. uh, And we figured that, you know, why not record it and put it on the Internet? We usually do these two-hour conversations anyway. And we thought, you know who would like to listen to these? Everybody. Exactly So that's why we're recording these. Yes. We all know how much you want to listen to our private conversations. And so uh-huh. we're putting them on the air. I mean, the idea here is, you know, we know that podcast listening is tough and that, you know, nothing is worse than hearing two white guys talk into a microphone as a vanity project. So we're trying to keep this short. Uh, we're thinking maybe half an hour, 40 minutes once a week. Uh, if you want to listen, listen. If you don't want to listen... We won't be broken hard about it, except maybe Johnny. I will be. Yeah, Johnny yeah. likes to cry, really big cryer. Uh-huh. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, this should be fun, uh, and if it's not fun, we'll stop doing it. So, uh, the inaugural episode, uh, we're going to talk first, obviously, about the big news, which is that the Bryce Harper saga might actually be coming to an end. We're recording this about 5 p.m. on Sunday evening. Yeah, and John Heyman. It was the last one to t- report about the saga. He says in his most recent, t- he did a tweet that said things are heating up with Harper. Intensified is the word I heard. Phillies are the favorite, but word remains that nothing's done yet. And then he followed it up with, as things heat up, here Harper is taking other teams beyond talking to other teams beyond Philly, and Philly is still talking to both Harper and Machado. Feels like Philly Harper is the most likely match at this point, though. So as, as a 5 p.m. as a 5 p.m. Sunday, that's all we know. Yes, and uh, we're going to be proceeding, sort of covering all our bases so that this podcast isn't out of date by the time you listen to it. Uh, hopefully we'll get this out tonight. Uh, if we get it out early tomorrow morning, we want to cover our bases and you know talk about what happens if Harper ends up on the Phillies, just so we have that covered. Uh, and you know, if he doesn't, then we'll all be pleasantly surprised, because if he ends up on the Phillies... My position is that the sky is falling, and I'm going to be very, very sad. Well, I, I think if he ends up in the—I mean, this is was the move that made the most sense from the beginning of the offseason. I mean, Philly has a hole in right field with Nick Williams. See, um, I don't know that I would describe it as a hole. The truth is, Nick Williams' bat is pretty okay. I mean, the guy had, I think, something like a 105 OPS plus last year. He's got an above-average bat, and you know it wasn't too long ago that he was a reasonably top prospect. But uh, Fangraphs and Baseball Reference both hated his defense. Uh, not sure why. I mean, some of that might have to do with the fact that you know Adubel Herrera had to shade himself over in the left center all year last year 
because Rice Hoskins, or Reese Hoskins as he prefers to be called because it's his actual name, uh, was playing left. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know how much stock to put in one-year defensive metrics like that, but they really did not like Nick Williams. And, well, if you're looking at the Phillies roster, I mean, at this point, there's the clearest right field that's the clearest spot to add someone. Um, you can say Franco, but Franco's had flashes of greatness in his past. I, I don't so know that. In... I don't know that that's true. I don't know that replacing Franco is harder than replacing Nick Williams. I mean, the truth is, well, the two, yeah, the two options were Machado and Harper, and one of those would replace one of the other. Right. So I don't know that Harper was the clear move over Machado, but definitely one of the two made the most amount of sense. Uh, the other thing is, is that this lineup already is right-handed heavy. And so you get a guy like Harper in there, really bounces out for a place where lefties do generally well. Well, I mean, he'd be, he'd be replacing Williams, who is a lefty, but he'd be playing, you know, much higher in the order. Uh, so they would have mm-hmm. Herrera, uh, Harper, obviously, and then Cesar Hernandez, who's a switch hitter. So it would be a pretty well-balanced lineup. Uh, and mm-hmm. it would be a very deep one. We're looking at uh, McCutcheon in left, Segura at short. Then Harper would be batting third and playing right. Hoskins at first. And then uh, Ray Almudo, JT Ray Almudo, batting fifth. Then Herrera, who's been an all-star. Uh, and then Franco and then Hernandez. That's, I mean, that, that stacks up with any team in baseball, even the big you know juggernauts in the American League. Uh, yeah. So the truth is, if the Phillies sign Harper, they might be nominal favorites. Uh, but it's it's close. It's not it's not as though they'll run away with the division if they sign Harper, but they will be I would have them as nominal favorites in the division. But the bigger problem is that there are four teams that are right there. I mean mm-hmm. and the thing that I come back to is that the Nationals spent all this money, you know, they spent $140 million on Patrick Corbin, they spent on you know, Dozier on Gomes on Suzuki. And and the whole reason for doing that was to pry open a window that it seemed like it was shutting. Uh, You know, the the Braves ascendant, the Phillies talent just getting to the major leagues. I mean, the Nationals could well have shut it down uh, and and looked at the next couple years as rebuilding years. But they didn't do that, which is good because rebuilding stinks. But the... Big problem, as uh, John Heyman tweets, that Harper talks with Phillies appear to be intensifying, but no word anything's done. And to this point, it seems other interested teams haven't been told they're out. And that includes the Padres, Nats, Giants, Shy Sox, and multiple mystery teams. Uh, Multiple mystery teams. There's always a mystery team. And obviously, uh, any team that's not in the NL East is preferable to the Phillies. But the truth here is that the Nationals spent all this money to pry their window back open, uh, but it would be a half measure if they let Bryce Harper end up in Philadelphia, especially for the the term that we're hearing, which is 10-3-10. I mean, that's right around where their offer was in the beginning of the year. Uh, now, obviously... I agree. I agree. If he is truly taking 10-3-10, the Nats have played this poorly. I mean, they did all that they could up to this point, Um to build the team without Harper. And realistically, they're good. I mean, they're set without Harper. They have a good core, a young core, especially in outfield. 
with Eaton and uh, not Eaton, I mean uh, Soto and Robles, who can take over the reins for Harper. But yeah, seeing him go to a division rival like this, it, you hope that they'd spend, try to outspend more than three ten when your initial ask was three hundred thousand, uh, three hundred million. Well, the problem here just, is that when they offered that three hundred million dollar contract, they didn't anticipate having signed Corbin. Corbin was the plan B. Plan A was Harper accepting the deal. Now, obviously, they knew when they offered him, you know, that deal on the second to last day of the season, that he was probably going to say no and check out his options elsewhere. So plan A was always sort of a, a farce. The idea was you show him the money, you show him you're serious, you don't burn the bridges in case he comes back to you, but then you know, you proceed with plan B. And I think that they, they operated correctly. The problem I have is that they should be comfortable going over the luxury tax. Because at this point, you've built a team that's, you know, a hundred and ninety five million dollar payroll that, you know, for the amount of money you're spending, isn't enough of a favorite in the division to be comfortable. Uh, oh, as Mike Moustakas signs with the Brewers on a one-year contract. Sort of a deal everyone saw coming. Uh, as you can see, we're scrolling through Twitter while we're doing this. Just to make sure we keep you in the loop. Because this is a service industry. Uh, this podcast will come out three hours later. Exactly when all these right. already been tweeted. I like it. You'll be living through a sort of a time warp from three hours. The ago. live reaction. Exactly. Uh, but uh, the problem is, you're already spending all this money. You might as well spend a little more to actually make it worthwhile. I mean, I'm no business person, uh, but you've you've got a huge money. That's I mean, it's not a sunk cost. I don't want to say that the the Nationals don't have any chance if Bryce Harper goes to the Phillies, but I wouldn't put their chances at winning the division at anything higher than 25%. Uh, and to spend $195 million to have 25% odds at winning your division is, you know, it's, it's a lot of essentially wasted money. So why not throw that $30 million extra and actually win the dang thing? I um, agree with you. But, you know, realistically speaking, we have another guy who's going to command a big salary next offseason as a free agent, Anthony Rendon. I think that if Harper doesn't sign, uh, not to cut you off, but if Harper doesn't sign, the thing I want to see is sometime in spring training and negotiate a Rendon extension. And I, I do believe that would happen. He, I mean, he said a few months ago that he's interested in re-signing. We have interest in re-signing him. And I think after this free agency, you know, we've seen a lot of players taking – extensions with teams i think rendon a guy who kind of likes to stay out of the limelight will lean towards trying to take another extension trying to stay with the team um and i think if you're the nationals you know you don't have to say harper rendon because you can sign both but you know there it, it could be an option well i mean the thing is that the you know the aav of a rendon contract isn't going to be that much greater than what it is right now, what he's making right now. So if you're comfortable with the $230 million payroll this year and you're comfortable with it going forward, there's no reason you can't have Harper and, and Rendon. It's not an either-or. Yes, but it could. It, you don't know how comfortable you feel about spending $230 million for the next five years, six years. 
It could be we're comfortable spending 230 this year, but then we're going to start cutting back on payroll. It could very well be that. You listen, never know. You don't listen. Yeah. If they get the championship in 2019, I don't care what they do afterwards. I mean, the yeah. truth is, I'm I'm all in for this year. I think this is. But, you've got to be all in for this year, and then if things don't work out, you you go back to the drawing board and you reassess. But I mean, there's there's no other way to live other than planning for this season, because I mean, frankly, with the labor uncertainty, we don't know how much you know farther into the future you should be planning but i mean there's there's only this year and then any mistakes that you make this year can be papered over with more money is the honest to god truth there's there's no mistake that you can make with the baseball team that can't be fixed with money that is true but if, in looking at if you'd rather have if it is a choice harper or rendon you know the argument, you know, the Nats are better set to lose Harper because they've been planning it for years than they are to lose Rendon because we're already thin on infield, no second baseman. I mean, we have Keyboom, and we have uh, we have Keyboom who probably will come up later this year, if not next year, um, to replace a hole at second base, who's which being filled by Dozier, but we don't really have anyone who's close to ready who can take over for third base, and. Yes, is a so if we if we're looking at it, we have two guys who are ready for the outfield. We have Soto and Robles and Eaton as a full outfield, and so if we're looking between Rendon and Harper, it might make more baseball sense. You know, Harper is a generational talent, and I would love to us resign both of them. But if you are making the choice, it might make a little more sense to keep Rendon just for positional flexibility. I mean, just so you're you're because your bases are covered without Harper, you're more in trouble without Rendon. See, I don't. The truth is the third base is a very deep position at the major league level right now. I mean, you look at Mike Moustakis, who's a league average third baseman, who just got a one-year deal for, I, I presume, somewhere around $10 million, maybe less, maybe more. But uh, you can very easily, in this market, find a third baseman who can hold down the fort. Uh, and... Uh, you know, if the Nationals wanted to, they could build a team with Bryce Harper just as well as they could build a team with Rendon. The truth is, uh, the nice thing about Rendon is he'll probably cost about half of what Harper does. Uh, and he, you know, is arguably the better player. But the truth is that if you let Rendon walk, you're not going to be haunted by it in the same way as you might be of Bryce Harper walks. I mean, you keep coming back to this idea of him being a generational talent and the guy on the front cover of every magazine and a guy who, you know, with a 139 career OPS plus with 184 homers career, you know, at age 25 or through age 25, still hasn't, you could argue, except for one season, really touched his potential. I mean... You look at his triple slash and you look at Barry Bonds' triple slash through the first, you know, through Pirates years of his career, and they're functionally identical. And you start to worry, you know, who exactly are we letting go here? Yeah. Yeah, it becomes, um, you know, it's a lot of ifs. You never know at this point. You won't know until it happens. 
until you know Bryce Harper could become. I've always said that you know if he signs a ten-year contract anywhere, he will be. I think he'll be top five MVP at least three times, if not more, in ten years. I three to five times at least, and you know it's a lot to be giving up for that potential talent. But and the truth is, with him being so young, <laughs> you don't expect the decline phase of the. the contract to start until six years in if so even it, exactly i mean especially because superstar level players tend to age well I mean, you could totally see a situation where he is productive and you know worth the contract for every single year of it which is why i just i don't understand the reticence to sign a player like him because it's it's one of the least I know it's hard to say this with a three hundred and ten plus million dollar contract, but it's one of the least risky long term contracts you can sign. Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, every single team should be in on Harper. Every single team should be in on Machado. And it's yep. And I think a lot of this, you know, at least from the fan perspective, of no, he's not worth that money. We don't want to spend that money. Is a lot has been created a lot by the media, by articles, you know where they kind of back up the ownership in a lot of cases um, and their decisions to cut payroll and market them as smart moves, when in reality they're an entertainment industry and these teams aren't spending to entertain anymore. They're spending to save money. Well, right. I mean, they're they're operating like a business now. Uh, Yeah. I think this is a good segue into our next topic. That Um, is. I was thinking that just as I brought that up. Now, that's how you segue. It's like we're professional podcasters. Exactly. We're so good at this. In our first episode, wow. Uh, So, our second topic is collusion. What does it mean? Is it happening? The answer to those questions are, what does it mean? I don't know. I'm not like a lawyer or anything. I am studying to become one. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh... But to the answer of whether it's happening, uh, the truth is there are a lot of explanations for this slow market, uh, a lot of which make sense and are sinister but are not collusion or don't reek of collusion. The idea that as baseball's revenues get farther and farther away from winning, uh, and what I mean by that is you've got this cable bubble that's paying for now, I think it's something like uh, cable revenues pay for nearly half of all revenues that baseball produces, uh, and it's what's responsible for the, the major boom in the industry's valuation. Uh, so you've got that explanation. So as, as these revenue streams get further and further divorced from actual winning and actual on-field production, the value of putting a winning team on the, uh, on the field goes down such that teams don't feel like spending anymore. Uh, so that's that's something that could happen without collusion. Uh, then you've got you know the issue of uh, whether or not players were ever you know in free agency really worth the kind of money that they were getting on the marginal win curve. Uh, the truth is that you can replace the production of a free agent uh, with a you know. You, say a league average free agent will command something like 12, 13, 14, 15 million dollars 
uh, or an average of, say, a league average free agent would, yeah, exactly, produce about $15 million on the free agent win curve. If you can get one win from a player for a sixth the cost out of a rookie, uh, then you're going to do that. Uh, or actually, it wouldn't even be a sixth. It would be if you've got a rookie who's producing you one win and doing it at $500,000, that's one-thirtieth of the cost. Uh, even if he's not as good, even if he's only half as good, that's still half as good for one-thirtieth of the cost is, is a, a marginal victory. Uh, but the truth is, you see these things, and they're all convincing, and they all don't stink of collusion, but then you see something like uh, the report that came out that said, you know, the Brad Brock came out and said that uh, all of the offers that he was receiving were exactly the same and that every single team was valuing him the same. And the truth is that shouldn't be happening because players, mm -hmm. go ahead. And, and then also you saw the Mark Reynolds report too to that, I mean, what he said today was that for weeks and weeks he didn't get any offers until one day he got four minor league offers the same day. See, that's, that stinks of collusion, but even, you know, this this justification that you keep hearing from ownership that, you know, teams aren't colluding, they're just all thinking the same, and they're all valuing players the same, that shouldn't happen, because the truth is players aren't the same for every team. Players shouldn't have the same value for every team. Uh, it's a long-known and stated fact, as stated by... Uh, Vince Gennaro in 2007 and going on, Jonah Carey, uh, Dave Cameron in, in various articles over that time, that as you crawl further and further up the win curve, uh, each win becomes more valuable. Because obviously, if you're a 60-win team, adding three to five wins doesn't do you much good. But if you're an 85-win team, adding three to five wins means playoffs. Uh, so that concept alone should account for a, a great deal of variance because, you know, Brad Brock, especially with relievers, this is true. Brad Brock is not going to add the same kind of value to the Orioles as he would to, say, the Phillies, a team that's very close on the edge of contention. Uh, but even more so than that, Brad Brock isn't going to add the same value to the Yankees, who have a full bullpen, who have, you know, a million great arms, as he would to a team like the Nationals, say, who are thinner in the middle relief area. Uh, the truth is, if you are coming from a, say, a zero-win above-replacement position at third base, and you sign Manny Machado, say a five-win third baseman, that nets you five wins. Whereas a team like the Nationals, if they intended to play Manny Machado at third base, say a five-win third baseman, and had Anthony Rendon, let's call him a four-win third baseman for the purposes of this, uh, that's only an improvement of one win. It's not worth the same. So this argument that a perfect sabermetric world would have every single team valuing every single player the same it's it's wrong. It's a fallacy. It makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. I don't think I could have said it any better. Yeah, and then you also see. I mean, you also see things like Mike Mustakas taking a one-year deal. You have so many one short-term deals. 
And what ends up happening because of that is the market the next year gets flooded <clears throat> with the same players re-entering. And then all of a sudden you have more and more free agents who are entering free agency in the same year driving down the cost of other free agents. That's a huge issue. This idea that, that free agency is going to solve this problem. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's it's just a supply and demand. You know, there's so many more. You know, this year he had, uh, what, six or seven second basemen? Right. Free agents. And, you know, you still have guys like Josh Harrison and even Marwin Gonzalez, who was probably one of the best of the bunch, still unsigned and getting no traction. I haven't heard a single Marwin Gonzalez That's rumor in weeks. That's insane to me. Marwin Gonzalez is not only, you know, one of the better second basemen on the market, but he can play so many different positions. And if teams really value positional flexibility like they did when yeah. Ben Zobris signed, you, he should be getting paid. And then you also have, you know, in the age of bullpenning, when teams are pushing hard for bullpens, you have Craig Kimbrell, who's arguably one of the best closers of all time, still unsigned. I, I just don't buy the idea and, that teams are scared off by his postseason. It's ridiculous. He's still Craig Kimbrell. No. The velocity was there. If anything, you can attribute it to, you know, a, a miscommunication between, or frankly, there were rumors about sign stealing. And I believe that a lot more than I believe that Craig Kimbrell suddenly in one month became the worst closer in the world. Yes. And, and so you have these teams saying, you know, oh, bullpenning is the future of baseball. It only is because it's a cheaper way to play players, to pay players to fill out a roster. You have relievers are cheaper than starters, and you can have so many interchangeable parts but, in a bullpen. Right, but closers aren't part of that, you know, hashtag bullpenning. The idea between behind bullpenning is, yeah, you get a bunch of guys with options who uh, are interchangeable, who can throw three innings, go down to the minor leagues, be replaced by another guy who can throw three innings max effort. And then he gets sent down to the minor leagues, and it's like an endless churn, which is why I'm so surprised that the MLBPA hasn't seized on that 10 to 15 day DL, pardon me, or IL, I guess now, uh, change, because it's really a labor issue. If you look at the the injured list and you look at how it's used, that 10 day rule is used to essentially shuttle players back and forth, which adds value to those players that they don't get paid for and devalues all the rest of the relievers on the free market, the ones who don't have options, the ones who are free agents and can't be moved down and shuttled back and forth. Exactly. Uh, so it's really, you know, the the thing is, is it's a fight between, it's not really a bullpenning or, you know, it's a salary issue. And these players are young and not getting paid much. And therefore, they're more valuable to a team, even though if they're not as good. Right. And, and you know, that's what struggled or troubled me. Uh, I saw Jeff Samarja tweeting that, that one of the big issues that the MLBPA would want to fight for was that they would want to have teams or have players become a free agent a year earlier. And, you know, that doesn't solve the issues here. If anything, it exacerbates them. If you have more free agents in a market where teams have access to so many cheap options and can depress salaries, uh, it's not going to, it, it, it's going to, instead of solving the issue, it's just going to make a bunch more free agents. If teams don't have to spend on talent to succeed economically, then free agency 
isn't going to solve anything. No, it's not. Right. So I, you look at, I mean, and then, so the the way you have to do it is you have to pay the minor leaguers more. You have to pay younger players more money. Mm-hmm. And there's no way a deal like that will come out from, I mean, the, the players, if I'm the players, I'm fighting so hard, <laughs> very hard for them in the next PA. Um, and that, that would that would 100% cause a lockout. But that's not even the biggest issue. How do you get player unity to fight for the, the rights and salaries of minor leaguers when they're not represented in the PA? I mean, the, the truth is that the Players Association has been controlled by the free agent class for a long time. They sacrificed, you know, in the last two CBA negotiations, they sacrificed major league contracts for draft picks. They've sacrificed uh, international free agency. Uh, they put hard caps on that. They put hard caps on draft spending. They put hard caps on a bunch of other areas where teams could spend and be competitive uh, so that a greater pool of the money would go towards free agents. And now that's come back to bite them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in truth, it's going to take a full reorganization of how the MLBPA does business to understand that fighting for the rights of younger players, not just for younger players to become free agents, but making sure that the the minimum salary is raised, figuring out a new arbitration structure, figuring out all these things, is eventually in the interest of all baseball players. And so I'm I'm not super confident that Tony Clark can handle it. But he's the man who's been put in charge, and... You know, if if I As for a guy who sacrificed so many other things to get minimal gains in the past, you know, right? I mean, that's it's I, not even the minimal gains. They were so focused in the last couple of negotiations on like quality of life issues because they thought, oh, the like money getting more often, right? The money's always going to be coming in. Uh, what do we have to worry about? So they sacrificed all these things. They got played so hard. Uh, I mean, and the truth is, they were operating under the parameters and under the understanding that teams would continue to spend. And so they didn't feel like they needed to force teams to spend. Uh, mm-hmm. But then teams stopped spending. And so the, yep. the truth is they had the rug pulled out from under them to some extent. Uh, but I think the biggest issue is that they forgot that they were in a labor battle. And not a fight between yeah. friends. Exactly. I mean, they're just... The truth is now they're being treated sort of more as actual laborers and not as stars. Because players aren't as important, you know, individual players aren't as important in a uh, structure for revenue that doesn't really matter from a winning perspective. So now they're actually in a labor battle, and they need to know how to fight that. And I just, I mean, you got to have a lawyer do it. You got to have someone who's experienced in these negotiations. I mean, what has Tony Clark ever negotiated for? So I don't know. Exactly. We'll see. Well, I think I think that's it for us. Yeah, this um, thing came out at 32 minutes. I think it zipped right along. Yep. Well, let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. If you don't like me, well, then that's fine by me. I just won't do it again. Wow. Just don't kidding. be mean to Johnny. He's very sensitive. I can't handle it. I'm very sensitive. I can't easily. handle it. <laughs>
well, but thank you for listening. If you listened, if you didn't listen, screw you. Uh, yeah, actually, let us know if you're listening because we want to know if people actually listen right. to this. Uh, give us some feedback. Like, comment, and subscribe, or however you do it on SoundCloud. I guess we're putting this on SoundCloud. But uh, yep. we enjoyed doing this for the first time. Hopefully it comes out well, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Hopefully. All right. Bye-bye. Talk. Bye-bye.